Thanks very much. Um, <clears throat> uh, indeed, greetings this, this morning. And let me just express uh, my thanks for the opportunity to share from God's word and also express my thanks equally uh, to many of you saints uh, for sharing in partnership with me in the ministry uh, through prayer. Let's pray together again. Holy Father, we thank you for yet another opportunity which is ours to worship you through the ministry of your word. And Lord, we do want to submit ourselves to your leadership and pray that you lead us in the ministry of your word into the end that, Lord, you'll be honored and will be built up, all of us, in our outmost holy face. So stoop down, Lord, in mercy, be gracious to uh, the speaker, and be gracious to all of us participating in this ministry, both those that are present and those that are present virtually. Lord, speak to us. We pray that the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, will be made manifest through the ministry of your word. This, Lord, is our prayer. We ask and pray in our Savior's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. A few years ago, I um, uh, was at uh, a place called National Service. I went through some experience, which experience, I think, would speak to uh, what we share together this morning. We had just moved from what we used to call the actual military service to uh, what was called production uh, service uh, for those uh, that may not have heard about uh, those historical experiences. Uh, what you did was you went to, uh, first of all, learn how to handle the gun, and then as you are waiting for placement in university or college, you went to production unit where you are taught to grow things. So we have just moved from uh, um, uh, military service to production um, uh, service. And when we moved there, uh, we obviously had to receive new um, uh, blankets, the new denims, the denims are the dress, so you received the new dress and were fully equipped. Now, <clears throat> the rule at the time was that each one of us was entitled to receive one blanket and a pair of bedsheets, and then you received your uh, pair of your dress. And it was just getting into June. Now, at National Service, we also had a language, which language was called, you can use your initiative. So your initiative meant that you could do anything for as long as you are not caught. It's okay. In the eyes of your bosses and in the eyes of your friends, it was fine. As long as you are not caught, you have used your initiative. Uh, so sometimes when they are saving, saving the meals, and they serve you with a very little meal, and you are starving, you could use your initiative, meaning you could just go and pretend you haven't received a meal, and then you receive another one. As long as you are not caught, you have used your initiative, and it was acceptable. Now, on this occasion, I knew that it was going towards June, and where our uh, production um, unit was, was we were sitting between you know, the stream. Uh, so you lived across the stream and walked early in the morning over the other side of the stream. So it was going to be very cold. So we received one blanket, one blanket, and then I said to myself, no, but wait a moment, let me receive another blanket. Now, to receive another blanket, you have to pretend you haven't received another blanket, uh, received a blanket. 
So as soon as I was given the blanket, I just got it and put it right in between my two legs and said, boss, I haven't received my blanket. The gentleman looked at me and said, are you sure you haven't received the blanket? I said, no, boss, I haven't. Look at my hands. You sure? I said, boss, look at me. So he then dug into the um, uh, container and gave me the blanket. So I received it, and I received then two blankets. Insofar as the National Service was concerned, it was initiative. It was okay. So I took the two blankets, and as I went, then I remembered, but wait a moment, Lord. I am a Christian. I have actually stolen. Although in the eyes of everyone, it's initiative. I have done what? I have stolen. What do I do? So um, then I went to the uh, hostel and uh, called a few brothers in the Lord. I said to them, brothers, I used my initiative and I got an extra blanket. And one brother quickly responded, brother, you have stolen. It's not initiative. That is theft. You must take the blanket back. Brother, it's initiative. He said, brother, it's theft. You have to take the blanket back. And he maintained his stance. Immediately, three things came under intense test. Three things came under intense test. Number one, do I, do I maintain the brotherly love with this brother? Or do I cut him off? How can he be so hard on me? Should I cut off the relationship? That's test number one. Test number two, how faithful should I be as a child of God? In a moment of this nature, should I still remain faithful? And test number three, do I trust the Lord to undertake for me? Do I trust the Lord to undertake for me in a moment of this nature? This morning, dear brothers and sisters, We'll be looking at a subject uh, from the book of Colossians and chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 1 uh, through to verse 23. And for some of you who may just be curious as to what could have been the end of the episode, well, I don't want to keep us in abeyance um, or in suspicion. Uh, so we went with this brother and spent time in prayer and fasted and said, brother, I'll have to take it back and face the consequences from the bosses. So after prayer and fasting the following day, I went and took the blanket back. And uh, I called uh, the boss that gave me the blanket, uh, boss, uh, yesterday I cheated, I'm a Christian, and this is what I did. I brought back the blanket. Obviously, we were expecting that I was going to be locked up, uh, and the brothers were prepared to bring me food in the cells, um, you know, for being uh, locked up. Amazingly. The instructor looked at me and said, we have never experienced something of this nature. Take the blanket. It's my gift to you. And I said, no, boss, it will be haunting me. And he says, no, 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 but take it. I've given it to you. And lo and behold, before long, at that national service, we established a church. And up to now, the church is there live. Okay? So the test of love from this brother who is rebuking you the test of your faithfulness as a Christian and the test of trusting the Lord to undertake for you. Let me invite us then to turn to Colossians and chapter 1. And we'll be considering in our discourse this morning, we'll be bringing to test these three areas um, uh, from the text before us. 
We read verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are, in, who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also, since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our brother, fellow servant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit for this reason also. Since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power according to his gracious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyfully, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, for he delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him. And for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Praise the Lord. He is the head of the body, the church, and is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might, might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure. I like that sentence. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. That's in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before 
He is holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Dear friends, I would invite us this morning to look at uh, a portion which I have just exhumed from the scriptures. And that will be the title of what we'll discuss or what we will look at uh, together this morning. The title of our engagement this morning, I've simply exhumed it from verse 2, part of verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are now in Colossae. And this morning I want us to look at just one subject I've called the faithful in Christ at Colossae. The faithful in Christ at Colossae. Now, this expression, the combination of the saints and faithful in Christ. The Apostle Paul has used it, at least reading through the scripture so far, what I found, he has used it at the beginning of the address of the um, uh, uh, scriptures. He has used it in two, um, in two books. He has used it in the book of uh, Ephesians, and he has used it in the book of Colossians. When you read from the book of Philippians and other books, and particularly the book of uh, Philippians, all he does is he just addresses the saints, uh, and, and he says, to the saints. But for some reason, from the book of Colossians and from the book of Ephesians, he combines the saints and the faithful in Christ. And me think there is a deeper reason why that expression has been used in these particular two books. And this morning, what we seek to do is to try and see the unique reasons why the Apostle Paul uses this expression, in particular these two uh, books. There is something that I think is peculiar uh, that must catch our attention. Why he uses the saints and the faithful, in this case, the saints and the faithful at Colossae. Um, and uh, um, you know, what he does uh, from the word go is he first of all picks it up and expresses his delight uh, in the uh, saints at Colossae. In other words, he praises the saints at Colossae, um, and, and, and uh, you know, that praise seems to stick out you know, um, uh, uh, as, as praise to these that are, are faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in verse uh, 4, uh, there is uh, something uh, again uh, that he, he talks about. What's so special about the saints in Colossae uh, that uh, the Apostle Paul must uh, refer to them as the faithful brethren um, uh, in, in Christ? What's so special about them? Verse 4 answers that special, specialness, if you like. He answers that uniqueness that the saints in Colossae uh, have. And in verse 4 he says, reading verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ, Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. The faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love um, that the saints have for 
or the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ earns them that special title of the faithful um, uh, saints in, 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 in Colossae. Now, when the apostle uh, is having to refer to them as the faithful saints in Colossae, I am beginning to think that he probably has two um, attachments to it, which again comes from the story that I shared much earlier on. In that title, The Faithful at Colossae, the apostle is having to recognize the trustworthiness of the saints at Colossae, the reliability of the saints at Colossae, that you can rely, we can rely on you, we can trust you, uh, we can take your word for it. That's one side of the faithfulness of the saints at Colossae. But the other side of this faithfulness of the saints at Colossae has to do with having to recognize, having to recognize the faith that the saints have, the saints at Colossae have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll spend a little bit more time on that aspect of it. The faith that the uh, uh, saints at Colossae have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the original language um, of the New Testament, the noun faith and the verb believe are different parts of the same word. For some reason, you may begin to be tempted that uh, faith and believe are the same thing. I want to propose that there is some slight difference to the two, uh, to the two, uh, to the two words. So, we can say, um, you know, faith in a person or thing is more than just believing. So when we say we have faith, it is more than just believing. If you read from James chapter 2 and verse 19, we are taught from there, the Bible clearly says that you believe that God is one. And you do well, the Bible says. But even the demons believe so. And they even tremble or they even shudder. Does that make a difference to the demons, the fact that they believe? Does that make a difference? Absolutely not. And yet when we get to Hebrews and chapter 11, there we have the definition of what faith is. And you clearly see that the definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 differs with just belief. And let me give us some uh, bit of um, uh, uh, reason why I am proposing so. So when we say we have faith in a person, when we say we have faith in a thing, what we are basically having to say is that we can wholly rely on that person or we can wholly rely uh, on that thing that is the object of our faith. We can rely on it. So faith is more than belief. It's having to place reliance on the thing or the object of our faith. Placing reliance, placing trust, placing dependency on whatever we have faith in is what faith uh, must be looked at. And that's what makes it different from just believing. So when we speak of faith in relation to uh, Christ, we are saying we are having to place our reliance, our trust, our total dependency upon our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and the works which he has done. Now, this is exactly what Hebrews is talking about. Let's just turn to Hebrews chapter 11 so that you see uh, what Hebrews is talking about. When he's talking about faith, when faith is being defined, hear what the scripture says about faith. Uh, faith is not just believing. No, no, it's much more than believing. It's placing your trust, placing your reliance, placing your dependency on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's having to, literally, if you want, having to resign to everything. And you are saying, for me, like Joshua would say, for me and my household, it is just the Lord. Nothing else. It is just the Lord. And we'll try and see if we can amplify that to make it absolutely clear. Hebrews chapter 11. Let us see what the scripture says with definition, a definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things opt for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it, men of God gained approval. By faith, we understand that the world were prepared by the word of God. Okay? So we are having to believe that God prepared this world. God created this world by his word. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Verse 3, uh, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Okay? Um, and, and through which he obtained a testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, uh, though he is dead, he still speaks. That's right. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. As you read these verses and we continue on in respect to the definition of faith, you agree with me that what we get from the definition is basically placing reliance. By faith, he placed reliance on God and therefore he did. By faith, you know, this man believed that he could have um, uh, a child and therefore uh, he went and sacrificed the, 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 the child uh, to God. So by faith, by faith. Uh, so faith, if you like, is not an abstract. It does not, and it must never live in a vacuum. It is an attitude where a person gives, her, gives up their own efforts, if you like, to win salvation, no matter how good they may think they are. It is an attitude where we completely trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. We look at the Lord Jesus Christ and say, this one died for me. Trust him for our lives. That is faith. And let me just add to say this, that, you know, that trusting, that reliance upon the Lord must be so real to an extent where our lives are affected by trusting him. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Okay? So, uh, and, and I'll try and see if I can give an example to illustrate that. So we are having to rely and to trust the Lord. And because we rely and trust the Lord, that reliance and dependency upon the Lord creates a relationship between us and him in such a way that by that connection on its own, our lives must be affected. Now, let me put it the other way. 
we come across people, and I hope there are not some in here, who say, no, me, I trust in the Lord, on one hand, and yet their lives are contrary to that trust in the Lord. At that point, we are saying there is a problem. Probably that relationship between you and Christ may not actually exist. So when you hear some people say, I am doubting whether you are a Christian, although you are confessing you are a Christian, all they are saying to you is, look, there is a dichotomy here, there is a, a conflict in what you say and what we are seeing in your life. Because trust and dependency on Christ must literally wrap effect upon you and your life must be affected. Let me put it as an example. Let's suppose that uh, you are in a sinking ship. And then in that, shipping, uh, in that uh, sinking uh, ship, here comes a lifeboat. Um, and when the lifeboat comes, it literally, for you who is in this sinking ship, the lifeboat literally means so much to you. What do you do? By faith, then, you jump into that um, lifeboat. Okay? Now, observe with me that when we're saying by faith you are jumped into the lifeboat, we are saying that you have placed your reliance and trust where? On the boat. And that's the reason why you are jumping in this boat. You are placing your reliance and dependence upon the boat, and therefore you jump into this boat. And when you are jumping into this boat, Again, observe with me that it's not on the basis of your merit. It's not because, you know, there's something meritorious about you. You are having to jump into this boat because if you do not jump into it, you are gone. In other words, by jumping into this boat, you are expressing your helplessness and holy dependence upon this boat. You are in the sinking, um, uh, in the sinking uh, ship, and the, the, this uh, lifeboat comes along. So by you jumping in this lifeboat, you are literally expressing your helplessness and your total dependency upon this boat for safety. I hope that example kind of illustrates it. I hope it does. So what you are saying is, you know, when we are placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are literally saying we are expressing our helplessness. We cannot save ourselves. There's absolutely nothing that we can do in order to save ourselves. We are like one who is in the sinking ship and we are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, only him for salvation, for rescue. This is what faith, dear friends, is. It's an expression of our total dependency and commitment to Christ for salvation and nothing else. Okay? So, uh, uh, I think, let me say that, and this is what defines what a Christian, who a Christian is. That marks the difference. Placing your total dependence on the Lord and expressing your helplessness and looking to Christ and Christ alone. That difference is what defines who a Christian is. And that expression of dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ, 
like the example that I've given, like what I said much earlier on, I submit again, we must see the rub off of that relationship. You have jumped into the lifeboat. We must see the effect of it. The effect of it is you don't sink. You survive because you have jumped into the lifeboat. So where the lifeboat is going, there you are also going. If it's drifting towards the trees, you are drifting with it. We can see the effect of your relationship with that lifeboat. Friends, I want to submit that's what Christianity is. When we're talking about placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saying, I am helpless. Lord, it's, my life is dependent upon you. And that on its own must bring um, um, uh, a major change. Now, when the apostle gets back to our text, when then he is talking about the faithful at Colossae, what the apostle is having to admit is this, that the saints at Colossae have placed their lives in the Lord Jesus Christ for safety. They trust him and nothing else. And because of that measure of trust that they have in the Lord, now this is, this is the reason why I said in the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, we find these expressions used. And this is what now my thinking, this is where my thinking comes. This is the reason why the Apostle Paul talks about the faithful at Colossae. Why? It's because he trusts that they have this relationship with the Lord. When now he begins to talk about the doctrinal issues, which have caught the heavy stuff, which comes from verse 15 right through to verse, um, um, to verse uh, 20. When he begins to talk about the heavy stuff, the heavy stuff will only be meaningful to those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And equally, when you read from the book of Ephesians, he talks equally about the heavy stuff. Big things, if you like. He talks about you know, matters that are detailed and matters that you know, uh, uh, review who a Christian is. And that information, that detail, that heavy stuff is only relevant to the faithful at Colossae. Let me walk us through bit by bit so that at least no one is left uh, behind. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1 so that I can show us. Ephesians and chapter 1. Ephesians and chapter 1. And let's hear the language of the uh, uh, scriptures. From verse 4 to verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, the scriptures address very heavy stuff there. Very heavy, very heavy. Uh, look at um, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Just as he chose us, before the foundation of the world. That, that's heavy stuff. It's not, a, it's not a light stuff. So we are talking there, we are talking about election. God having elected me before the foundation, before I was born, God elected me. Now, that's a heavy stuff. It's only for those that are faithful in Colossae. It's not for the wish wash. Because then you get stuck and you're having to battle. Mm, all right. It's heavy stuff. 
And as if that is not heavy enough, um, verse 4, uh, verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glory. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. Um, so he made known to us. So salvation comes about when God makes known to us. So it's not you having to you know, bring about salvation and you are a Christian because I made myself a Christian. No. God himself would have done the work in the background. He speaks to you to bring it to a point where you see you are sinful and to bring it to a point where you see the Lord Jesus Christ as the only hope for you. That is heavy stuff. God revealing to you the uh, pleasures of, of his will. But let's continue on in verse, uh, uh, in verse 13. And in him also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, you know, once you became a child of God, that moment you became a child of God, God put a stamp on you to become his child, if you like. In other languages, we would say, once saved forever, saved. You will never lose your salvation once you become a Christian. <laughs> now, that is heavy stuff. It is stuff meant for the faithful at Colossae. Those who have surrendered their lives to Christ must be told about these things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The more reason why, when you come back to Colossians and uh, chapter 1, we begin to read from verse 15. This is heavy stuff, brethren, I submit to us. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things having been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. <laughs> That's the hard stuff. In him all things hold together. He is in charge of the world. And now we're talking about what happens. Uh, we are having to be subjected to all these happenings. The world is God in charge. To the faithful at Colossae, they still say our God is what? He is in charge. This is heavy stuff. He is the head of the body, the church, and is the beginning, and the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself must come to have the first place in everything. And I like verse 19, which I emphasized earlier on. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. The fullness of God dwelling in the Lord Jesus, how possible can that be? It's mind-breaking. You know, this morning as I was coming, I forgot, I needed to come with, there's a shoe, um, uh, I think one of the mothers here, during Koinonia, came with the uh, children, and they left the little shoe. It's a little shoe. Uh, I hope maybe it remembers. It is kept, yeah, but, so if any one of your uh, mothers uh, your children, I think, I don't know whether it's Uncle Willingosa, but there's a little shoe. I almost came with it. 
And I was saying in this little shoe, imagine me putting my foot in that little shoe. Does it make sense? Absolutely not. My big foot, maybe my foot may be slow, maybe smaller. Take my William's foot, which is bigger than mine because it's size nine or ten. Push it in that little shoe. Is it possible? It doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't. How on earth could God, how could God have the full pleasure to dwell in his son, the one who came in the human flesh? How possible, and I'm saying, that information is good and music. It's sweet aroma. It's nice, it's rhythmic to the faithful at Colossae. Let me uh, go a little further. You know, we are coming into the Easter period. Easter period is starting on Friday or something, but we are in the Easter period. As we go through the Easter period, for the faithful in Colossae, Easter period will warm their hearts. Easter period will be ringing bells in their ears and in their hearts. Bells that are echoed from verse 15 to 20 that we've read about, or 22 that we've read about. To the faithful at Colossae, there will be these wonderful bells that will remind them of the object of their faith. So when we're having to go through Easter period, to the faithful in Colossae, they will be singing in their hearts as we go through the Easter period. Man of sorrows, what a name. Ruin the sinners to reclaim. In my place, he condemned his stood. And as if that was not bad enough in my place condemned he stood, he sealed my pardon with his blood. And they'll say in that chorus, oh, what a savior. And on Christ the solid rock, I stand, cause all other grounds is sinking sand. The saints in Colossae will be delighted as we get into Easter period. Their hearts will be warmed to think about their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he died for me. For me, not for the world. No, he died for me. They'll personalize the death of the Lord Jesus Christ to themselves. <laughs> On the other hand, those of us who are not faithful, the faithful at Colossae, Easter period will be a busy period where we shall be caught up in this frenzy buying of Easter eggs, Easter clothes, Easter what? Easter the other, Easter this, and Easter the other. The events that the world creates over Easter will totally overshadow the object of our love. It's only those that are faithful at Colossae, friends that I submit, it's only those that are faithful at Colossae who have meaning to uh, uh, what the scriptures uh, are talking uh, to us about this morning. Ah, dear friends, just allow me as uh, I dig towards uh, the closures that don't keep us for too long, except to thank the government. Now they have opened up the airwaves. We can meet for as long as we want to. So I think uh, I heard minister saying that, Minister of Health. So we can even be here for the next three hours. Uh, that's assuming what we are engaging ourselves in is relevant. We can be here for the next three hours. Time matter. But allow me, dear friends, to color 
to pick out the colors that appear on the saints at Colossae from the scriptures. How do the saints at Colossae look like? The saints at Colossae are called faithful saints because they have learned that faithfulness from a brother called Epaphras, we are told in the scriptures. Verse 7, and you learned it from Epaphras. They are called the faithful because they have picked it up from another faithful brother in the Lord. In fact, the Bible says, and you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow born servant, who is a faithful servant of Christ um, on our behalf. So, color number one, the faithful at Colossae uh, have lent it. The faithful at Colossae have lent it from other faithful at Colossae. But the faithful at Colossae have not just lent it from the faithful in Colossae. The faithful in Colossae also want to teach to pass it on. So that's a color. The color of the dress of the faithful in Colossae is this, that they have learned it from the faithful uh, Christian, and they also are faithful and want to pass it on. That is the color of those that are faithful in Colossae. In other words, if you are a Christian, you must emulate, you must covet the color of the saints at Colossae. As much as you have been taught, you also must go and teach. That's a color. That's a lifestyle of the saints at Colossae. They have been taught by Epaphras. And they also then become the next Epaphras to go and teach. So that's a color of the saints at Colossae. In other words, I'm saying to us, dear brothers and sisters, that, you know, as children of God, this must preoccupy what we do. Because the one in whom we have put our trust sends us to go. We must go. That's the color of the saints at Colossae. They are faithful to the one who has called them, and they want to faithfully save the one who has called them. How has been your evangelistic life? What kind of lifestyle do you live in our environment? Ah, let's emulate the saints at Colossae. But the saints at Colossae in verse 6 and verse 10 of our text, the faithful at Colossae bear fruit. No, they don't just bear fruit. The Bible says they bear fruit in increasing manner. So the saints at Colossae have a bumper fruit production. They produce a bumper fruit for every good work. That's what the Bible says in verse 6 and verse 10. Which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good way and increasing in the knowledge of God. Dear friends, the saints at Colossae bear bumper 
fruit. They bear a bumper fruit of harvest for the Lord Jesus Christ. In every aspect of their Christian lives, they bear that fruit. That's color number two uh, on the saints at Colossae. What that means is that we must, all of us, strive to bear the fruit for our Savior. If we have placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have seen our helplessness and placed our faith in him. Surely, friends, we must bear fruit. Fruit for him. The object of our faith, the man in whom we have placed our lives, we must bear fruit for him. Otherwise, how else then could we please him? We must produce fruit and a bumper harvest of fruit for him. That's color number two. Color number three, the saints at Colossae have love for all the saints. I like that. The saints at Colossae have love for all the saints. Their love is not selective. Their love is not dependent on one is tall, one is short, one is lousy, one is runda. No. Their love is for all. Why is their love for all? Because that love is having to flow from Christ's love into their hearts and it comes from their hearts linked up with Christ and then it is given out. So color number three, the saints at Colossae must have love and love for all the saints, not selective love. Dear friends, I'm not sure how, how many we love in our local assembly. Maybe we love all of us. And we love all of us the same level. Usually, there is selective love. But the, the scriptures are having to remind us that the saints at Colossae, in color number three, they have love for everyone. Color number four, the saints at Colossae have not yet arrived. In verse 9, the apostle says in verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in our spiritual wisdom and understanding. The saints at Colossae haven't yet arrived, meaning the saints at Colossae must be prayed for. The saints at Colossae must pray for others but others must also pray for the saints at Colossae. And look at the prayer request for the saints at Colossae. The prayer request is having to be defined in the scriptures here. What is it that we must pray for? For the saints at Colossae. And the Bible lifts out the prayer request. We must pray that it may be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all wisdom and understanding. So as we think of the saints at Colossae, who appear as if they have arrived, as if they are already there, so we don't need to pray for them. The say, no, 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 no. We need to actually pray for them. And we must pray for them that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That they may be filled with wisdom and they also may be filled with understanding. But verse 10, we are also told that we must pray that they may walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, that they may please God in every respect. So we ought to pray for the saints at Colossae that they may walk worthy of the manner 
um, uh, and worthy of the call that they've received um, uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must pray for the saints at Colossae. We must pray for them that they may be strengthened with all power to attain the steadfastness and patience joyfully. These are some of the prayer items. As we have items on Thursday when we meet, uh, these are some of the items that we need to pray for, for the saints at Colossae. As we pray for each other, we must pray that we may attain all the knowledge of God's will, that we may be filled with wisdom and we uh, may be um, strengthened um, uh, and that we may attain the power of steadfastness and the patience and attaining these two joyfully as well. Hey, these are wonderful prayer requests that we have uh, in the scriptures. As you look at the prayer requests that we have uh, about the saints at Colossae, you know, you're envious and you're wishing someone must pray for you with those prayer requests. That someone would pray for you uh, and, uh, and pray that, uh, um, uh, 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 that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Pray that God would give you knowledge about him. Pray that God would give you wisdom. I mean, who does not want that kind of a prayer request? I mean, who does not want? At least if you, you, if you, want, if you have one prayer request to make to a brother or to a sister, say to them, please pray that I may know God's will, that I may know the knowledge of God, that I may know the wisdom of God. Ah, pray for me that I may walk worthy of my calling. Pray for me that I may be faithful, that I may be strengthened in my inner being. Pray for me that I may attain the steadfastness and the patience that God... I mean, look, these are the prayer requests that we hope we can give one to the other. Apart from pray for me that I may have a job, I think pray for me that I may know, you know, God's will in my life, that I may know the wisdom of God, that I may have the knowledge of God. Oh, dear friends, the faithful at Colossae are equally praying for other saints. Inasmuch as we pray for the saints at Colossae, the saints at Colossae equally are praying for the other saints. In other words, it then becomes a closed circuit. So we pray for, the, for each other. So that's another color. And we say that is color number, I think we gave it as color number four. So color number four is that the saints at Colossae must daily pray for each other. Look, if, if you don't know what is happening in my life, but at least you have the minimum prayer request that the scriptures exhume for us. Pray that I may be filled with God's knowledge and wisdom. Please pray that I may know God's will in my life. It, that God's will is not just something for the young. Those who are saying, no, God's will, and just attribute it to um, who am I going to marry. No, it's more than that. Every day all of us need to know God's will. God, how are you leading me today? May I know your will. Please pray for me, at least the minimum, barest minimum, even if you don't know what's happening in my life, between me and my wife. Pray that at least I may know God's will in my life, that I may be filled with the knowledge of God. Please, Papa, pray that's a prayer request I'm giving to you. Pray that I may be filled with the knowledge of God. Pray that I may be filled with the, uh, um, the wisdom of God. Pray that I may be strengthened with the power from above. Ah, no. Pray for me that I may walk worthy of the call that I've received from Christ. At least this minimum prayer request, friends, we have, right? Brother Ed, you have. You have any my prayer request. 
Yes. Even if you don't know what's happening in me, whether I am broke or whether I have money, at least you have these. You can't tell you, we didn't know what to pray for you about. You have them. So the saints at Colossae must pray for each other. Dear friends, Easter must remind us that Christ came in order to create for himself a people belonging to himself. And he came, his mission when he came into this world was that he may retrieve, that he may reclaim, ruin the sinners to claim, hallelujah, what a savior. That he may reclaim those that are uh, lost and uh, that, that those who are lost can put their trust in him. We can rely on him. We can put our total dependency on him. Look, he's looking for those individuals. He's looking for such individuals who can put their faith uh, on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, we enter into the Easter period. I'm not sure what will be ringing in your mind. What kind of uh, choruses will be ringing in your mind during Easter? Well, let me provide some things that, you can, that can ring in your mind. ShopRite is selling Easter eggs. I think who has Easter sales? Am I advertising on behalf of certain shops? No, I'm just reminding us that during Easter, it's possible that your mind can be completely uh, uh, disarranged. You can be disengaged from having to think about our Savior, the Lord Jesus. But no, the saints at Colossae are occupied with the Lord. Can I invite us, therefore, that we put on this mind that is thoughtful about the Lord? Because that's the reason why we have the apostle having to write to the saints and the faithful at Colossae. And because they are faithful at Colossae, he can offload who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He can then talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. He can say about the Lord that this is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Because the faithful at Colossae are waiting to hear that it's good news to them. They want to think about him who died for them. They want to think about God, the creator of the universe, who must have left the universe for them. The saints at Colossae are occupied with the things of Christ. Can I invite us, dear friends, to join me on this train, on this royal train, this wonderful ship whose captain is himself, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, may we, at the end of the day, all of us qualify to be called the saints at Colossae, the faithful at Colossae, faithful at Colossae because we have put all our trust in the Lord, faithful at Colossae because we can be found trustworthy, faithful at Colossae because we love all the saints, faithful at Colossae because the Lord is our King. No one else, but the Lord is our utmost king, our most valued relationship. Most valued to a point where if it has to part company between you and your job, you'd say the Lord Jesus. 
it is said of for an account in history, and I do not want to ever experience it, uh, because I'm not sure whether I will manage. Where you know, the soldier comes and says to you, well, you are confessing that you are a Christian. Uh, choose between you, your Christianity, and your child. <laughs> so choose between you and your child. So if you say Christ, we are going to kill this Pharaoh. Those of us that are parents understand what that is. It's a huge test. You don't want to go through it. No. You just want to say no. That's a story in history. You don't want to ever go through it. You and your child, and you say, Christ. And the guy picks the gun. Doom! God comes again. <laughs> Christ and your wife. Hmm? I thought you'd just end up on my child. No. Your wife or your husband. Well, if the relationship is sour, you can say, yeah, please, yeah, no, it's okay. But no. You and your wife or Christ. That is a solid test. All I am saying to us, dear friends, is this, that the faithful at Colossae would forego everything for the sake of May the Lord truly help us, because I'm not sure whether I also feel qualified to stand that pressure. May the Lord help us to faithfully, to faithfully, faithfully trust him. Amen.